Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. And those who are going to Little Worship can be dismissed at this time. If you're staying in here, we just invite you to open your Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 9. And so we, we printed these bulletins like three weeks ago. And so there's obviously going to be some changes uh, as we progress forward. But uh, so we're going to back up just a little bit to get a running start for context in our passage all the way back to Luke 9 verse 51. So, you know, uh, take catching up or picking up where we left off from last week. Luke 9, uh, 51 through 62. Uh, so in uh, 1965, uh, the band The Grateful Dead, I know some of y'all love The Grateful Dead. Uh, in 1965, the band decided to go on tour, but unlike other bands, uh, they never stopped. From 1965 to 1995, by and large, for 30 years, they were on the road. And a, a documentary was done on one of the band members uh, called The Long Strange Trip. Of course, it's a play on words for them, but The Long Strange Trip. And it was about all the things that the band learned while living life on the road. All the lessons that they learned along the way. Okay. Well, this morning, we, we begin a section of Luke uh, that for the next ten lengthy chapters, they're on the road. And, and you could very easily give this, this next ten chapters the title the long, strange trip. Here these disciples are learning things that are a little different from the way the world says. It's a long, strange trip. Verse 51 says, When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face towards Jerusalem. Um, this is, he, he never flinched from the reason he was here. That, that love compelled him to be dead set on paying the price for our redemption. Right? Never stopped. And if, if you ever doubt his willingness to receive you, his willingness to save you, remember this, that if Jesus set his face towards suffering, and he set his face towards willingly dying for you, how much more can you trust him to willingly receive you, to willingly save you? I mean, that's the whole point of him coming. That's the entire reason and so Jesus set his face, and from, from this, literally this verse to, to the triumphal entry, Jesus and his disciples were on the road, and we can forget that because Luke doesn't always give us the geographical markers, but they're on the road. And Jesus used this time to teach his disciples about discipleship, to teach them the lessons and demands of walking his way uh, through what our world might call a long, strange trip of discipleship faithfully. So what are the lessons along the way? Uh, well, let's begin the journey uh, this morning, and let's find out. So this is God's Word, Luke chapter 9, verse 51 through 62. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them 
And he went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, uh, to another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Or yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is God's word. Now let's pray before we consider it. Father, this morning as, as we seek to put our hand to the plow, uh, Lord, you, uh, we ask that, that you would give us a vision uh, of Jesus. Um, Lord, teach us what discipleship means. What does it mean to follow you uh, in this or on this long, strange trip of life? Uh, Lord, teach us this morning through your Spirit. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So in the, the TV show Friday Night Lights, uh, the season, it, it's the beginning of the football season. Uh, Coach Eric Taylor is given a pregame pep talk to his team. They're about to take the field, and the last thing he says before they go on the field, and y'all, some of y'all know this, clear eyes, full heart, can't lose, right? Uh, he's saying that if you, if you guys play with clear eyes, you see what's going on, you play with a full heart, you can't lose this game. Well, in a similar way in our passage, uh, Jesus and his disciples, are, are, they're beginning their journey towards Jerusalem, and Jesus begins his lessons along the way by telling them clear eyes, uh, full heart. Um, so let's, we're going we're to talk about that. We're going to do it backwards. Uh, first, full hearts. We see this starting with verse 51. Full hearts, or, or rather merciful hearts, as we journey through life. What does it mean to be a Christian, to follow Jesus? It means to be someone marked by mercy. Merciful heart. So many of y'all know this. In 1865, a militia group called the, the Logan Wildcats killed a man named Asa McCoy for being a traitor to the Union Army. And it just so happened that a bunch of men with the last name Hatfield served on that militia, and they did some of that, some of the killing. Well, fast forward 13 years, and Asa McCoy's brother accused Floyd Hatfield of stealing one of his pigs. And, and there was a trial that took place over this theft of a pig. And the trial took place in McCoy territory, but it was presided over by a cousin of the Hatfields, and the entire trial hinged on the testimony of a man named Bill Stanton, who was a McCoy relative, but he married into the Hatfield clan, and because of that, Bill Stanton testified in favor of the Hatfields, and the McCoys were infuriated. They were, it was unjust. Not only had they, they killed their brother, but they had stolen their pig. And so the McCoys... This is, what the, this is a different time, right? So the McCoys retaliated by killing Bill Stanton. They, they killed him, and then for the next 12 years, the, this feud exploded until it became the American legend that it is today of the Hatfields and the McCoys. Well, when it comes to iconic arch enemies, uh, you know, there's, there's like, quote, Batman and the Joker, right? There's Obi-Wan and Darth Vader, you could argue that. Um, there's uh, the Hutu and the Tutsi clans, right? There's the Hatfield and the McCoys, but, but right near the top of those list of iconic arch enemies is the Jews 
and the Samaritans, right? Um, in our passage, Jesus and his disciples, you know, they're, they're, look, they're, they're on the road. They're looking for a place to stay, to spend the night. And at the mention of Jerusalem, the, the Samaritans rejected Jesus. Like, we, uh. and, and to James and John, the sons of thunder, remember, they had had it with the Samaritans. And so they say, do you want us, Jesus, do you want us to tell fire to come down and, and from heaven and consume them? And, you know, it's, of course, it's easy to hear what they say and to think, <laughs> What in the world, James? Like, you want to kill an entire village? And not to excuse what they said, because Jesus clearly rebuked them for even uttering that. But, but it's helpful for us to know what they knew. Because, I don't know about you, but I can sometimes often find myself wanting to lash out at my enemies. Right? And so here's James and John's context. You know, Once upon a time, the Jews and the Samaritans were brothers and sisters, and they both worshipped Yahweh, and they were, things were wonderful. But when the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom, and they came in, of course, conquering some... some uh, well, they came in, and the Samaritans were very quick to sell out. The Samaritans were very quick to, to intermarry with the Assyrians, to kind of adopt their culture, adopt their gods. And from that moment on, the Jews in the south saw the Samaritans not only as kind of half-bred Jews, but they were religious apostates. They, they had taken Yahweh and they had syncretized all these other gods and isms and cool things about their culture and adopted all of that into one. And so in response, so obviously the Jews re rejected the Samaritans. And so in response to that Jewish rejection, the Samaritans, they turned and they started calling, oh, the Jews, y'all are the apostates. Y'all aren't progressive enough. And, and so this civil war, it kind of erupted between these two once brothers and sisters. And since the Samaritans weren't welcome in the Jewish temple in Jerusalem, they decided to build their own temple on Mount Gerizim which the Jews in turn destroyed. So, you know, there's this feud going on. So then the Samaritans published their own version of the Pentateuch. Said, this was, no, this is what Moses wrote, not, not what y'all wrote. And so the Jews responded to that by publicly cursing the Samaritans in their synagogues and not just bashing them in their sermons, but like, could you imagine this? Could you imagine like if, if an elder could sit up here and pray or I preached like not praying and preaching not, not only that they would die, like we want our enemies to die today, but also praying that they would, not, they would die and not enter eternal life. That's what they, like that was their sermons. And then to top it all off during this time period, the New Testament times, um, obviously before 70 AD when the temple was destroyed, the Samaritans somehow broke into the Jerusalem temple and they scattered human bones just like all over the place, desecrating uh, the temple. And so with all that history, then to be turned away when in a moment of need, to be turned away from these Samaritans, James and John had had it. They, they wanted vengeance, retaliation, and they knew their Old Testaments at least somewhat, right? They, they knew that they had heard some story about Ezekiel and there was this time when he called down fire and he burned up all these troops from you know, King Isaiah. And so they thought that you know, Jesus is kind of like an Elijah-like Messiah, right? He's got power. And so in their minds, let's, let's go, right? And yet, in their zeal and their youthful passion, they failed to understand a pretty significant difference that, that the Old Testament occurrence they were trying to invoke was a completely different situation 
that King Isaiah rejected God, right? But the Samaritans weren't. The Samaritans were only returning the rejection that the Jews had offered them. So these Samaritans weren't offending God so much as they were just offending James and John. And so James and John had had it. And so this is important. And y'all, this is the reason why we did our housekeeping series this summer. It's because this kind of stuff happens all the time, doesn't it? You know, we get mad at somebody or we want to do something, so we go hunting in the Old Testament for some obscure passage that, like, I knew it was in here. Um, J.C. Ryle said, he said, it's possible to think we have Scripture on our side and we can proof text our actions and yet commit serious errors. Ryle continues, from no quarter perhaps has the church received so much injury as from ignorant but well-meaning men. He said, zeal without knowledge is an army without a general, and it's a ship without a rudder. And so, what does Jesus do when when we want to light up our enemies? What does he do? Well, here we see with James and John, he rebuked them. Why? Well, he rebuked them because even back, if you remember in Luke 6, he had already said, now he says, the world is going to tell you tit for tat, right? The world is going to tell you payback. But I say to you, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. And what's Mr. There's only one way we could have that type of a merciful heart, even towards our enemies. And the gospel tells us that naturally we are enemies of God. That that naturally we deserve hell. All of us deserve hell. But instead of God calling down fire on us, though we deserve it, He poured out his wrath on Jesus in our place. So that if we are in Jesus, though though we deserve wrath, we have received mercy. And and when when, when the Spirit causes that to click in, in our lives, our souls, the Spirit supernaturally changes us and makes us a merciful people. Not because we're nice. Not because we're pushovers, not because like it's our Enneagram number to kind of be nice or our personality. I'm just naturally a nice person. None of that. It can make the, the, the worst person in the, in the world a merciful person simply because you, we have received mercy. And I know some of you will say, I, know, I don't even think that's possible. But again, think about John, right? Like, really, just the last two weeks, if if that's all we knew of John, it's not a good look for John. Because last week, if you remember, John was trying to shut down this legit ministry because he was jealous. And then today, he's wanting to wipe an entire village of the Samaritans off the map because they hurt his feelings, right? And, like, does that describe an apostle, right? Or, Or does that describe a deranged dictator, right? And yet... The gospel so changed this hardened, bitter, angry son of thunder that later in his life, he was known as the apostle of love. Isn't that great? That's how people knew him. That's probably what his kids thought of him as he got older. John was the one who could not get over the fact that by grace he was loved. He was the beloved. And so in John 13, he recorded Jesus' words. He said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And later in his shorter epistle, he wrote, if anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he don't love God. He's he's a liar. And it was this disciple that that Jesus uh, entrusted his earthly mother, Mary, to. 
after Jesus was crucified, right? Because those who have received mercy, give mercy. Those who have received mercy, give mercy. It's just how it works. But before we move to clear eyes, uh, listen to this. J.C. Ryle said, Perhaps no saying of Jesus has been so totally overlooked by the church that this one small passage right here. And, and here's what J.C. Ryle had to say. It's a longer quote, um, but it's just so good. He said, Nothing can be imagined more contrary to the will of Christ than the religious wars and persecutions which disgrace the annals of church history. He said, thousands and tens of thousands have been put to death for, religious, for religion's sake all over the world. Thousands have been burned or shot or hanged or drowned or beheaded in the name of the gospel. And those who have slain them have actually believed that they were doing God's service. Unhappily, they have only shown their own ignorance of the spirit of the gospel and the mind of Christ. So Ryle said, let us remember that the religion which men profess from fear of death, you're kind of forced into it, or you're going to die, is worth nothing at all. And, and he said that if we were to swell our ranks by fear and, and threatening, in reality we'd gain nothing. And so here's the gospel. It is the gospel of free grace that is freely offered to you in Christ. And that gospel of free grace is not only the power to save, but that is also the only way that we will ever have full hearts, merciful hearts. Which then brings us to the, the second thing Jesus teaches us here. Jesus has he's got a brief conversation with three different people that really gives us clear eyes. It gives us clarity as to what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to follow Jesus? And so the first one came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, I'm, gonna, I will follow, I'm going with you. I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And, you know, he's, of course, Jesus, you know, he, we know in the Gospels that he had places to sleep at various times, right? But he's making another point. It's really two things here. One, he's teaching us the, the nature of discipleship. You know, that really the reality is that we're all discipled by someone. You know, that, that we're all being influenced by by someone, right? We all see the world. How do we interact with the world? How, how do we do life? You know, it's even simple things like if you fish, if you hunt, if you, you, you bake, like it's because someone taught you how to fish or hunt or bake. You know, maybe it was a parent, maybe a grandparent, maybe a, a kind neighbor. Uh, if you didn't have any of those, maybe it was a book, an author, maybe it was a YouTube video. Uh, a YouTube, uh, a TikToker, uh, a podcaster. You know, wh whether we like it or not, we're all being influenced. We're all being discipled in life. And in the church today, we consider discipleship kind of like going to church. And you, you know, if you go to a Bible study here or there, you're doing pretty good. And yet, that is, that's not what Jesus considered or considers discipleship. For, for them, it wasn't showing up at synagogue when you didn't have anything else to do on your calendar, right? And, and maybe, maybe, that's why many, many kids who leave and go to college are not prepared to enter the world as Christians, right? It's because they have not been discipled. Um, because in Jesus' day, to be a disciple was akin to being someone's apprentice. We hit on this a little bit Wednesday night, right? Um, you know, to be an apprentice, let's say you're going to be an apprentice to a blacksmith, you're going to learn the trade, like you moved in with that person. 
So to be a disciple of Jesus, you moved in with them and you stayed under their roof and you learned when they taught and you ate when they ate and you watched how they interacted with, in Jesus' case, Samaritans and how Jesus interacted with prostitutes and, and tax collectors. It, it wasn't just like, okay, I, I believe in Jesus and I guess I'm a disciple. It wasn't I believe in Jesus, but it was literally following Jesus in every single way, in the good way. So it was being formed by Jesus. And so with that, we, we, have, a, we have a clear-eyed vision of discipleship. It's, it's more than we think. But then Jesus gives a second reality with this individual. Jesus said that if we follow him through life, there will be times that we're going to get the sense that this world is not our home. You know, that, that we will find ourselves somewhere between refugee and alien. We're, we don't, we're somewhere in between those two. That we just don't have a place. And, and so we, we long for a heavenly home, right? And so if you're following Christ, instead of the comfort that is promised by, you know, some varieties of false gospels, right here Jesus is saying there will be times that we are immensely uncomfortable. So Pastor Kent Hughes said, if your Christianity has not brought discomfort to your life, something's wrong. He said, a committed heart knows the discomfort of loving difficult people. You know, the, the, the discomfort of giving until it hurts, right? Like, it's not fun in and of itself to, like, tithe, to, like, give some of my hard-earned money to, to a church. Like, that's, that, that's hard, right? Outside of just gospel-driven generosity. You may not have the lifestyle that your friends can afford because you follow the Jesus way in gospel stewardship. You know, you're going to know the discomfort of a life out of step with the modern culture, right? The discomfort and unpopular stance when all of your friends are going one way and yet you say, no, 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 me and my family, we're going to value discipleship. Uh, that is not popular. Okay? We're going to walk the Jesus way. It, it will hurt. And so having clear eyes means following the Jesus way will cost. It will cost. Then verse 59, another person came and said, Jesus, I want to follow you, but, but let, me, let me go bury my dad first. I've got to go do that, and then I'll, I'll come back. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Okay, this verse is one of those ones that skeptics like to point at and be like, Jesus is such a jerk, right? Uh, it's rubbed a lot of people the wrong way because Jesus has just told us to be merciful to our enemies, and yet this, this is like low-hanging fruit. He's not being very merciful here. All, the, all he's asking to do is to go bury his dad. You know, it's just a funeral. Isn't the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother? What, what gives? Okay. And, and this is where understanding Jewish burial traditions is really helpful. Because one, if his dad had just died, he would literally be home mourning and burying his dad. He would not be out on the road with Jesus. He'd be home. Which means more than likely this man is talking about what the Jews called second burial. That if you were part of a Jewish family, you would mourn the passing of a loved one for a year. And on the one-year anniversary, all of you would get back together um, and you would go to the family tomb, and you would collect your loved one's bones, and you would deposit those bones in the family ossuary, or the family bone box. And it was a, you know, a family that's buried together, stays together. It was kind of a Jewish saying, right? Like all the bones in one big box. Okay? Um, 
Archaeologists, by the way, have discovered some, I think, 150,000 of these bone boxes just on the Mount of Olives alone. So this was very common practice, which means if that's the case, this really isn't a, re- this is a request to delay following Jesus for a year, right? Jesus, I'm going to wait a year, and we're going to do this thing, bury my dad, and then I'll come back. And, and so Jesus says, no, 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 don't delay. You, you follow me now. Let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead. But you, while you're still alive, you go proclaim the kingdom. And so following Jesus gives us clear eyes that say, look, don't, don't put this off, okay? Like, I, I know there is a tendency to, like, I'm going to wait till after college so I can kind of be crazy for a while, and then I'll come to Jesus. I'm going to put it off till after marriage, and then my wife will drag me to church. After I have kids, after retirement, after I clean myself up, then I will. No, Jesus said, look, just follow me now. Like, the call is, is urgent. Follow me today. And then finally, uh, the last person came, verse 61, saying, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. It's a minor request, right? I mean, th- this guy, he's willing to go, but he just wants to go home and say goodbye to his, whoever's at his house. And Jesus says, look, th- there's going to be time for goodbyes later. You can always go back and say goodbye. But what Jesus I- is addressing here with this individual is a divided heart. And, and, and ancient Proverbs said that, that you could not look back while plowing and plow a, a straight furrow. Um, so this week, uh, I asked a, he's here somewhere, uh, an old farmer, um, like, what'd you do before GPS technology and tractors? You know, like, how did y'all keep those roads straight? And um, he told me a lot of things, but in the end, this is kind of what, what I learned was, and many of y'all know this, pre-GPS is the tractor pulls the planter. The planter had this long arm that reached out, and it kind of dissed up the center of your next pass. And so the tractor driver's job was just to straddle that disc mark. As long as you keep that in the middle, you're running your own track, right? Um, and the way you would do that was uh, not necessarily by looking just ahead of you, but looking way down the field to keep the straightest line. And uh, that farmer said that as he was planning, and just like everybody, you'd have a ten- you've got to look back at your planner from time to time, right? And he said every time he looked back at his planner, he'd have this tendency to kind of nudge the steering wheel just a little bit and kind of get ever so slightly off, off course. Um, he also said, just for, this is for free here, he said that he wished that a, there was a GPS for the Holy Spirit in us, you know, just to get us on track. Right? Um, look, Jesus is telling us that if, if we have been saved by him, then following him is the, is the utmost focus of our lives. Um, that we, we put our hands to the plow and don't look back. And, and listen, we, we all know people that for, for various reasons are stuck in the past. You know, we all know some people that just, they just never left high school for some reason. Who pined for what was left behind, what once was, and, and they never, they, they never push the plow. They, they just kind of stagnate. They just, they've been the same their whole life. Um, and Jesus is saying, look, people who continue to look in the rearview mirror, aren't going to do well on my road. 
And, and yes, look, it can be fun to remember the past, right? I mean, God even calls us in, in a way to remember, the, particularly to remember his faithfulness to us in the past, to remember the good old days, right? But too much nostalgia, uh, it can be toxic, too much of it. Because as Jesus' followers, y'all notice that, that we aren't those who live in the past, right? We, we aren't those that are constantly pulling out our scrapbooks. Um, like we, we aren't defined by our past sins. We aren't those who are defined by our past struggles. Heck, we're not even defined by our past successes. Jesus gives us a new identity as the beloved, and he calls us to follow him forward as he continues to grow us and transform us, knowing that in him our greatest day isn't behind us. So why do we keep, why do we keep going back there? Like our greatest day isn't even today, but our greatest day lies before us on, on that day. Right? And see, so y'all, if, if you don't know that, or if you find yourself this morning stuck in a particular sin pattern, or if you're just looping in the past, know, like remember that, that Jesus set his face. Like, like the reason he did that was to come and seek and save you, to, to deliver you from those past identities and past sins and past struggles, bondages, to save you. And so please hear me this morning. The call of Jesus is like, like right now, if you feel your soul being nudged, like don't wait. Just pray and surrender now and follow him today. Jesus says, if, if, if you felt the call, then you come urgently. And then for those of you who are following Jesus, Please know that, that as we follow him with, with clear eyes and, and full hearts, it's not going to be easy. But, but he does say you know, it, it's a fight, but it is a fight that we can't, we can't lose. Right? Let me pray for us. Father, time and time again, you... you you invite us in, and yet we, you invite us to consider the cost. Um, Lord, help us to follow Jesus with clear eyes, uh, to not be so shaken when hardship or trial or health concerns or tribulation come. Uh, but Lord, help us to know that that's just, that that is the Jesus way, but Jesus gives us comfort. He gives us his presence, even there. Uh, so, Lord, we ask that you would bless and keep us. Lord, may you raise us all up as parents, grandparents, children, um, to be those that have this gospel vision of discipleship, that what does it mean to form people after Jesus? Um, what does it mean to be prepared to live this life as a Christian? Um, so, Lord, give us clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.